is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 14th of February. Happy Valentine's Day. This is Peter Lewis with today's business headlines for you right here on Money Talk on Radio Radio 3. Not much good news, I'm afraid, though. The number of new COVID infections in Hong Kong have topped 1,000 for the third day in a row. Health authorities announced 1,347 new infections yesterday, but there were about another 2,000 preliminary positive cases, a new record. The government said it would extend flight bans on eight countries, including the US, UK, Philippines and Australia, to March the 4th. There have been no flights from those countries since early January. Hong Kong and Chinese officials met in Shenzhen on Saturday to discuss the COVID-19 pandemic. Hong Kong Chief Secretary John Lee, who led the SAR delegation, reaffirmed the commitment to Hong Kong's dynamic zero COVID policy, while stating there are no plans for a citywide lockdown. In the US, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for February unexpectedly dropped to an 11-year low of 61.7, down from 67.2 in January. Bad financial times over the next five years were anticipated by nearly two-thirds of all consumers, representing the weakest long-term outlook in the past decade, according to the university's report. The UK economy saw its fastest growth since 1941 last year as the country eased social distancing measures. The UK economy grew 7.5% in 2021, bouncing back from a dramatic 9.4% collapse in 2020. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson at IMA Asia and Hao Hong from Bocom International. The view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independence economist Andy Sher. Money Talk! On Wall Street on Friday, shares were mostly flat on the day until the US warned that Russia could invade Ukraine any day, causing traders to dump stocks and buy treasuries. The S&P 500 index slipped 1.9% to 4,419, leaving it down 1.8% over the week and more than 7% for the year. The Nasdaq plunged 2.8% to 13,791, taking its losses for the five sessions to 2.2%. The Dow lost 504 points to end the day at 34,738. In Europe, the Stock 600 index fell 0.6% Friday, but was up 1.6% for the week. London's FTSE 100 rose 1.9% last week. Hong Kong shares finished the week on a negative note on Friday, as global markets were jolted after US inflation hit a 40-year high. The Hang Seng Index dipped 0.1%, or 18 points, to 24,907. It was up 6.4% for the week. The city's tech index dropped 1.2%. The Shanghai Composite gave up gains of 0.4% to close 0.7% lower at 3,463, reducing its gains for the week to 3%. Tech shares continued to plunge, with Shenzhen's Chinex losing 2.8%, taking its losses since its recent November peak to almost 22%. In the commodities markets, the price of Brent crude oil surged over 4% to above $95 a barrel, the highest since 2014. And this morning, it's at $95.38 a barrel. 
Gold jumped to its highest level since November, rising almost 2% Friday to $1,859 an ounce. Copper slipped 3.8% after hitting its highest level since October 2021 on Thursday. And Treasury yields soared last week until the Ukraine news broke on Friday and sent them lower on the day. The 10-year yield, which was above 2% on Thursday for the first time since 2019, fell back to 1.92% on Friday. The US dollar was 0.6% firmer last week against a basket of currencies. The euro is trading at $1.13.5. The Japanese yen is at 115.5 against the dollar. One British pound buys $1.35.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 58 cents. And in offshore markets, the Chinese yuan is at 6.36.5 versus the dollar. Bitcoin rose 2% last week and is at $42,100 this morning. Looking around Asian stock markets, uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down 2.1% shortly after the open, and futures markets indicating a decline of about 200 points for the Hang Seng when trading gets going this morning. Let's welcome our guests both on the phone this morning. We have with us Hao Hong, Head of Research and Managing Director at Bocom International. Morning, Hao. Good morning. And also with us is Mark Michelson, who is Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning to you, Mark. Uh, good morning, Peter. Happy Valentine's Day, although the news isn't very happy, is it? No, not at all, but I await my chocolates from you. Yeah, that's all right, Mark, let me start with you, because obviously, as we heard earlier, this is not very good news at all in Hong Kong for its fight against COVID. Um, how are businesses dealing with this, Mark, and what sort of preparations are they making? Well, I, I think many of them already have have started. First of all, many of them have, have you know, aren't working in office and, and haven't been for a, for a long time. That's, they've just, they've just probably expanded those. But in terms of the, of the executives that run them, it's a mixture, and I think I've talked about this before. Some have have left Hong Kong sometimes for good, but at least a semi-permanent basis. So typical is an executive goes to, say, Singapore, and is going to be there for three or four months. And that way, uh, that executive can travel across Southeast Asia to the U.S. and to Europe, and at least for now, pretty much conduct their businesses as, as always. But, you know, the hope is that they come back. But some of these are going to be more permanent. There's no doubt about it. Some won't change. If, if we have, I mean, John Lee has said we're not going to have a citywide lockdown. But if this, uh, if this accelerates and, and that looks as though it's a possibility, or there's also talk of these rolling district lockdowns, right. do you think more people will make plans to leave? Well, I, I think so. In my, just, just personally, six of my closest friends have left or are leaving in the next uh, in the next month or two, and it was driven by by this situation. Even if there aren't any lockdowns, just looking, it was accelerated by it. Maybe they would have left anyway, but that they were in many cases were planning to stay for at least two or three more years. Is there a sense among businesses that we're sort of at crisis level? Yeah, I think some are feeling that it's hard to hard to generalize. But at the same time, they look around the world and. And cases seem to be going down in the United States and Europe in many cases, and they're they're taking a, a more open policy, and they are in Singapore as well. So, 
this is a it's a question of 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 policy and the approach too. What what what's right or not is not very clear. But in terms of how it's affecting business, they have to make decisions, and in some cases that'll mean they have to uh, have to change from at least their base policy in Hong Kong, at least making it their entire base. How let me bring you you in. What what's your sense of the impact on the economy here. We saw those uh, that Fitch downgrade last week where they cut the forecast for Hong Kong's GDP growth in half for this year. What is your sense of the damage that's being done? Yeah, well, I, I don't think people should be too surprised by the downgrade, you know, because um, since late last year, uh, Hong Kong has been disturbed by uh, the virus. You know, it seems to be the case that we're having a hard time, you know, trying to control and, and, and eliminate the virus in this city, even though we we have been doing very well for the most part of last year. Uh, so I think most people are not surprised by uh, the downgrade. But then, you know, if you look at the financial market, you know, the, the market always moves ahead of the fundamentals. Right? So even though uh, the economic news and also, you know, the, the virus news uh, in the city uh, continue to be bleak, uh, but I think the uh, uh, the stock index is staging a rebound. Mm, it's it's not reacting, is it, to really what's going on here in Hong Kong? Is that because it's it still has to, and it may do that this week, or is it because just the nature of the, you know the Hang Seng here, which is very much dominated by uh, large mainland economies, and therefore uh, they're, they're dictated by what goes on on the mainland? Yeah, I, I would argue that the uh, the Hong Kong stock market has um, already reflected uh, what will be coming last year. Right? So last year, even though uh, Hong Kong economy uh, has done very well, you know, I think the economic growth has been uh, one of the highest uh, in recent years, you know, because of the recovery. But Hong Kong stock market is the worst performing uh, major market index in the world. Uh, so I think, you know, in a way, uh, it is a reflection of how liquidity and also the concern for liquidity reduction uh, in, the, in the market in Hong Kong. Uh, but I think after a horrendous uh, year last year, uh, I would say that, um, you know, Hong Kong should have a mean reversion and doing better this year. Mm. Marco, businesses, how do they feel about this zero COVID um, approach? Do they think that is sustainable or do they think we're on the right track, on the wrong track? What do they think in general? Well, yeah, again, you can't generalize, but I think you've seen public statements by a lot of businesses that 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 feel that in, in many cases it's overdone. Look, we've got flights blocked from various countries in the world that can't fly into Hong Kong. Other restrictions, as you say, they they may get worse. And the problem is there are alternatives. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and Hong Kong still has a lot of advantages. Uh, its location, obviously, still has a system where where you have generally free flow of information. Although uh, maybe that's been been influenced to some extent, rule of law, etc. Uh, and you know, and it's 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 still attractive to many companies. But, you know, when you're in this situation, especially when it looks like it's going to continue for at least another year going forward and other places are opening up, then you have to consider alternatives. And so there's, there's a push to, uh, to, to ease the restrictions or maybe go somewhere else. Are, are layoffs increasing? Are firms having to look increasingly at laying off workers? Uh, I haven't seen that so much in the companies that we deal with, not not at this point, unless they're in industries that were that are particularly badly affected, like tourism and hospitality, and so on. Yeah.
How, let me ask you about the global markets because we, we've sure. seen a lot going on there um, as yes. well. We saw U.S. stocks plunge. The price of crude oil uh, soar on Friday. It seems yes. that markets are reacting to really geopolitical risks at the moment now. Mm, I think in the near term, uh, the geopolitical risk, uh, it is indeed a spur uh, for oil price to go even higher from here. And also, you know, if you look at the option trading data, you know, uh, some of the uh, options, call options, uh, uh, the strike price at 95, which mm. is uh, expiring in a few days, uh, you know, is set to, you know, uh, motivate traders into uh, even uh, uh, more buying op- uh, actions uh, in, in the oil market. And I think, you know, um, in the near term, you know, because of the situation is full of uncertainties, uh, I think the market will be continue to be beset by, uh, by such uncertainties until it's, you know, relatively clear. Is it a good time to be buying gold with all these types of uncertainties? Mm, I think yes. Well, you know, the traditional saying is that, you know, when there's a war, you buy gold. But I think besides gold, you know, many of the uh, commodities, especially industrial commodities, are having a huge comeback this year, uh, you know, despite having mm. a, a very uh, profitable last year. And, and many of the analysts in the market was calling for a, a correction this year. But then, you know, con- contrary to... The popular belief, uh, commodity prices just keep getting higher. So I would say that, you know, not just go, you know, the commodity, the entire commodity sector is a buy, you know, because of the inventory concerns. Is there a shortage of a whole range of commodities now? Are companies seeing that? Well, if you look at the inventory data, right, so if you look at the uh, uh, global data plus the Chinese warehouse data, you can see shortage uh, you know, across the board, you know, in many of the commodities, including agricultural commodities. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, Premier of China uh, over the weekend emphasized the safety of um, uh, providing uh, food and agriculture products to Chinese households. Mm. Mark, are, are your companies seeing shortages of commodities at the moment? Are they reporting that? Yeah, to, to some extent, shortages in a lot of different areas. It's the supply chain in, in, in many areas has, has, has been a challenge. In terms of the, the latest developments, I'm not sure, but of course it's the uncertainty and it's the difficulty of, of forecasting. When things look like they're getting better, sometimes suddenly uh, they're not so much. And, uh, and the worry that there's going to be uh, you know, new developments that are going to restrict it. But yes, yeah, yes, they are. And it looks like in some cases it's continuing for much longer than they had, they'd anticipated. Is, is there any sign at all that these supply chain problems could be resolved in the in the next few months? Any sign that maybe it's easing or a solution? Well, is being I, found? I think in, in some cases, in, in some cases it is. It just depends on, on what you're talking about. But, you know, chips, for example, mm. there seems to, there seem to be some activity to uh, to try to uh, to ease that situation and it may have some effect but it's going to take it's going to take some time for everything to to adjust again but I, certainly there are efforts being made and a lot of it depends on what we started talking about is what happens with covid as we said the um, much of the rest of the world is is trying to operate pretty normally and much of china despite some of the restrictions is as well and mm-hmm. and just a just a bit of of maybe hopeful news the olympics in in beijing so far, other than with some weather problems today, has gone off pretty well mm. in terms of COVID and, and so mm. on. And, of course, in the, in the U.S. today, they're, they're playing a U.S. football game, the Super Bowl, with 70,000 people unmasked, 
in very close quarters, a lot larger than any New Year's celebration. Mm. How, what are your thoughts about the mainland markets? Haven't got off to a good start. Uh, we've seen the, the national team in the markets buying shares, but hasn't really helped, has it? It hasn't really supported the market. What are your thoughts? Mm, I think the news uh, about the uh, national team buying is not verified. You know, whenever there is a late afternoon rebound after 2 o'clock, um, 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 you know, people will attribute it to the, the rebound to national team buying, right? So I... You're not sure, though? You don't think it is them? Uh, well, I think, you know, my source is saying no. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is hard to believe that even though the market hasn't been doing well, uh, but the correction, you know, hasn't been that big. And it's, it's rather shallow if you look at the Shanghai Composite, which is the major index. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it is corrected somehow and, and contrary to consensus. But, uh, you know, the, the correction has, has been very shallow. Uh, so I would say that, you know, um, the economic fundamentals continue to weaken as the economic cycle in China continues to slow. And because the Fed is about to move and, and tighten, right, so the, the window for easing uh, for the PBOC is rapidly closing. And whatever the PBOC chooses to do now to ease monetary policy, uh, you know, it will have a, a ripple effect on the Chinese currency later, right? So the, the, the Chinese currency, the CNY, will weaken in the coming months. And also at the same time, you know, because of many of the constraints in, in, the, in the local economy, uh, even if you ease monetary policy now, uh, it is a little difficult, you know, to immediately spur demand uh, domestically. And, and therefore, you know, you, you end up with a situation where, you know, you ease monetary policy, the stock is not responding, while at the same time, bond you keep getting lower. What did you make of those credit uh, numbers we saw last week? They were quite astonishing, weren't they? There were, aggregate financing uh, was a record, mm. almost a trillion dollars. Uh, bank lending was also at a record. Mm. What, what's the correlation between that type of credit growth and the performance of the markets? Yeah, I, I think people should be a bit more careful um, uh, with the uh, epic number, epic credit number uh, reported last Friday. Now, you know, January is normally a seasonally strong uh, month for lending, right? So Chinese banks tend to lend in the beginning of the year, you know, for the money to be working uh, for the next 12 months in the economy. And then at the same time, you know, if, if you look at the structure of the, uh, of the uh, uh, credit data, right? so it is the first time in history you see a negative M1 growth uh, in, in China. So what that means is that, you know, some companies could be, you know, borrowing money to pay salary, you know, for example, mm. uh, or, you know, some of the, uh, 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 the deposit in, in the company has been transferred to household uh, uh, balance sheet. So what that means is that, you know, it is a year-end phenomenon that companies are just paying out salaries uh, to households. And, and also, you know, people sh- shouldn't be overexcited uh, with the prospect of investing in infrastructure uh, uh, projects, you know, because right now, you know, after years of expansion, it is getting more difficult to find worthwhile infrastructure projects to put money in. Mm. Mark, what about smaller companies? We know that on the mainland, um, you know, the, 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 these lockdowns, although they're very targeted, are having an impact. But the big state-owned companies are going to be fine. But 80% of China's economy are these small micro-businesses. How are they doing? Sure. Well, you know, I expect many of them are being challenged. And even, you know, international companies, 
they don't have micro businesses, but they have small. Some of them have have, have smaller uh, smaller presences in China, obviously, than they might have other other places. Not all of them, but in many cases, and of course, they've been affected. They've seen a slowing really taking place since late last year, since of at least the fourth quarter, and that's continuing. Doesn't mean that it's still not an attractive market, but they sort of have to readjust just their projections and sort of figure out where they're going to get growth and development from, and therefore they have to make some of the decisions that have just been outlined. Mm. Hal, let me ask you finally about the tech sector. We've seen the Chinex now slip into a bear market. We're seeing yes. the tech sectors elsewhere in the world also suffering because yes. of the potential of interest rate rises. What's the outlook? Yeah, well, I think the Chinex uh, has clearly peaked for the year. Um, I think, you know, if, if you look at the uh, valuation of the Chinex board, you know, it's still trading at 60 times. You know, many of the new IPOs, the tech IPOs that uh, came to the market, you know, with an average uh, um, um, IPO valuation of 170 times PE, right? So that's mm-hmm. just really rich. So, you know, as the liquidity situation is still concerning and the Fed is tightening, I think the, the, the chain export is one of the most sensitive sector uh, to the economy and also to liquidity. So I would be surprised to see uh, the Chinex uh, uh, will be continuing to under pressure, yeah. and, and it has already peaked for the year. Okay, thank you both very much. You heard there, Hao Hong, Head of Research and Managing Director at Bocom International, Mark Michelson, who's Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. 5, 6, 7 a.m., Radio 3. Whether you're here or here, Maybe here. Perhaps not there. You can always listen to Radio 3. Just go to your favorite app store and download RTHK on the go. Radio 3. We are always here. It's 8.25 and on the phone is Shanghai-based independence economist Andy Share. Morning, Andy. Uh, good morning. Uh, let me ask you about those uh, those credit numbers that came out of China uh, last week. We saw a record uh, aggregate financing of about a trillion uh, US dollars. We also saw a record amount of new uh, bank loans in the in the month as well. Um, what are the implications of that? Is it a sign that the authorities are very worried about the economy? Well, uh, I think that the the government's uh, policy is to uh, uh, to, uh, to to sustain, try to sustain stability in the property sector, uh, and uh, the properties are not selling like before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, a lot of uh, developers are on the verge of uh, uh, going bankrupt, mm-hmm. and uh, the government wants uh, all the all the ongoing projects to be completed not to become like unfinished buildings like 20 years ago. So, uh, so they, they, they're encouraging these projects uh, to be finished, to be transferred to other companies. And uh, the, the, uh, the, then, then the, the, the leverage uh, limits don't apply anymore. Mm. So, uh, so uh, you know, you, you have uh, money needed for completing projects on the other side, you're not selling. So obviously... You needed to uh, uh, increase uh, uh, loans. 
So that's where most of these loans are going. They're going to these property companies, which suggests they're not getting through to maybe the smaller uh, businesses, the micro businesses that really need help at the moment. Well, the government talks about uh, SME lendings all the time, but the truth is that uh, small companies don't get a, a financing credit from uh, the formal banking, formal financial system. Mm. So uh, it's 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 the same everywhere else. And they provide, they create eighty percent of the jobs um, on on the mainland. So presumably that's a, that's a problem for economic growth going forward. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, 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 it's a m- much more demand issue than uh, uh, than a su- uh, supply side issue, and uh, and I understand that the government likes to talk about the su- supply side problems, but mm. China is much more about the demand side problem. The household sector demand is weak because the debt debt level is very high, and mm. that is due to the property bubble. And uh, also, we know that uh, the uh, the uh, the lot of lot of uh, costs. Like education, uh, still very, very, very expensive. So, uh, but um, the most important thing is that the, the household sector has been weighed down by that. So consumption is not really uh, uh, growing, uh, growing much. Now, on the other side, on the on the investment side, you have the property sector in distress, and uh, that is a big chunk of the uh, the investment story. Mm. So you, what you have is that uh, you have investment and consumption both are weak. So the whole thing depends on export. And, and is that holding up? Yeah, I think so far. I think that uh, this pand- during this pandem- pandemic, we see that uh, 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 people elsewhere uh, uh, are okay with the Chinese working for them. Uh, that was a question when the trade war started. But it looks like uh, people are happy that if Chinese want to work hard for very little money, let them do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so if the global economy holds up, Chinese exports will, will rise. So this year, I expect the exports to rise by close to 10%. It's uh, it's kind of a, a, a nominal value, uh, twice uh, it's, it's higher than the global GDP growth in nominal terms. But it's not good, really, is it, for the rebalancing of China's economy, which the authorities keep saying they want to do. This is sort of like going back to the old model, isn't it? Relying on export growth, good for the manufacturing sector, not good for the services sector um, and and not good for consumption. Yeah, I I think that uh, rebalancing has been uh, is kind of like a slogan has been mentioned for like 20 years. Uh, I think the government really doesn't mean it. Uh, I think the the issue is that uh, the government wants more resources under its control uh, for its its agenda. Uh, so uh, so uh, you know it's uh, that's the reason why property bubble happened because it was good for government uh, uh, cover. Mm. So I, I think that the issue is that the government wants to control the economy mm. and uh, giving more money to the people to spend. If you rebalance the economy, that means the economy runs on its own, uh, which. I'm not sure is what the government wants. Mm. What do you make of uh, these 33 Chinese entities, mainly high-tech manufacturers, that were added to Washington's unverified list uh, last week? What impact has that had on the tech sector in, in China or will have on the tech sector? Well, I think the U.S. wants to cut Chinese companies uh, off from uh, its uh, high-tech sector. Uh, that is an, an ongoing policy. It, it's the main purpose to slow down Chinese companies. 
Uh, in the short term, it does have an impact. You look at what happened to Huawei. It's a, it's a mobile phone business basically has uh, has uh, kind of uh, collapsed. But the issue is that uh, uh, the the high tech, the really the bit that uh, China cannot make is not that important. It's it's important for mobile phones because they require small chips. But for mm-hmm. most products like automobile or like a telecommunication telecommunication equipment, the space is is not a, a constraint. So uh, the chips from ten years ago are good enough. So I I, I think that uh, the uh, the the impact uh, is uh, is limited over time. Andy, thanks very much indeed. Great to talk to you. That's Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Share. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the market, stocks are falling sharply down in Australia. Uh, the SX200, uh, sorry, the, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down about two and a quarter percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is also decl- going to decline about 200 points at the open as well. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Thank you very much for listening today. After the news is Radio 3's COVID update with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse this morning. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature of around 18 degrees. It is 14 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Andrew Shorosky with the Half Hour News. A community organizer in Discovery Bay has expressed concern about the number of domestic helpers there who have recently retested positive for COVID-19. Jonathan Chow from DB Watchdog was commenting after the entire district was hit by a compulsory testing order last week after sewage samples and some residents tested positive. He said residents were concerned after at least seven residential buildings in Discovery Bay found COVID cases. Mr. Chow from DB Watchdog said some of those helpers who tested positive lived away from their employers and urged the government to investigate the situation. Most of the domestic helpers, they actually live in boarding houses in Lim Shiwan uh, rather than living in their uh, families. And what I can tell you is that the condition, the living condition in Lim Shiwan is unsatisfactory. It's unsatisfactory. Uh, and it will bring great risk towards uh, not only the, the residents of DB but also the residents in Ping Chau and Mui Wo or even the whole Lantau district. So this is the information that I received uh, yesterday and uh, we really hope the government uh, officials can uh, can take a look of it and see how we can deal with the uh, domestic helpers uh, diagnosed cases. The hospital authority says it will give the elderly, children, and the seriously ill priority for isolation beds as the surge in Omicron cases hits capacity. It made the move as Hong Kong reported over 1,300 new COVID cases yesterday, plus 2,000 preliminary ones. Hospital officials also said a three-year-old girl was in critical condition, as were three patients in their 80s and 90s. The Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shukwan said people needed to keep contact to a minimum. I think if everybody uh, try to reduce contact with other people, of course you can reduce contact with your households. Um, then uh, the inter-household contact will be reduced and it is possible that um, the infection rate can be reduced. 
Meanwhile, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, has provided more details on five task forces the government is setting up to fight the Omicron outbreak in cooperation with the mainland. They will cover the areas of pathology, testing, construction, medical supplies, and food supplies. Each will be headed by a departmental secretary. The chief secretary, John Lee, will coordinate the task forces and report to the CE. The government says children as young as three can receive Sinovac shots from tomorrow. Last November, the health secretary, Sophia Chan, approved the lowering of the minimum age for the Sinovac jab from three to three from 18. A Hong Kong government advisory panel on COVID vaccines had earlier recommended that move. Parents can receive a BioNTech jab for their child from Wednesday, but only if the child is aged five or above. And Canadian police have